You're listening to Thinking Biblically. Hi, everyone. This is Alan Gilman for Thinking Biblically. This is uh, sort of uh, Thinking Biblically 2.0. For some time ago, I started doing a Thinking Biblically podcast, um, which um, I haven't done one in a while until now. And I've now I've updated the format. We're going to be going video and audio every week. The plan is every Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, there'll be an, another segment uh, available on YouTube and on your favorite uh, podcast provider. And we're going to be looking week by week on how all of Scripture speaks to all of life. I'm going to do it primarily by bringing interesting guests on, and we I hope we're going to have some very engaging conversations. Um, but from time to time, um, I'll have an opportunity to uh, to share with you, which is what we're going to be doing in, in this segment. And uh, in order to do that, uh, I've asked my son Daniel uh, to to help me with it. And uh, let, let me bring Daniel on now. So. My son Daniel is uh, a former apologist with RZIM Canada, and he's currently a itinerant preacher and speaker. Uh, he's also a public speaking coach and a victim advocate with the Whitestone Clinic. Um, just recently, Daniel and I uh, worked together on an Old Testament surve- survey course that I was doing. Uh, Daniel was my host, and and uh, he also was the one that vetted the the Q&A at the end of each week, and and it was one of the the uh, the things that I enjoyed the most about the course was being able to do this with Daniel. And it, it was it's been on my heart for a long time to to do a podcast like this. And so what we're planning to do is uh, about once a month, Daniel's going to come on, and we're going to have a, a conversation. Uh, but most of the time, it's going to be um, uh, with with special guests, and I'll mention some of them. Uh, towards the end of our of our time, uh, but before I forget, uh, please don't forget if you haven't done so already to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Of course, if you're watching this on YouTube, or if you're not, you can go to my YouTube channel, um, which is really easy to get to. You just go to YouTube.com/slash Alan Gilman. Yes, I actually have that. You can go to my YouTube channel and click the subscribe button, and don't forget to also click the notification bell so that you can be notified when there are new podcasts available. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to hand it over to Daniel. He's going to sit in the host chair, and let's see where this goes. Hey, Dad. Thank you so much for having me. I I think it is a a big trust when a father gives the keys to their son to be able to uh, borrow the car for the first time, especially if one is as uh, poor driver as myself. It's a big trust, Uh, maybe an even bigger trust to let your son sit in the host chair for your own podcast launch. Dad, you have titled it. Thinking biblically. Let's start right there. Uh, why the title? What is thinking biblically? Uh, well, first of all, it is it is my pleasure to entrust myself to you uh, in in doing this, and um, I I have a great sense of security of being in your hands, especially since this is being recorded anyway. Uh, hopefully, sometimes we'll get to do this live, but for now, they'll be recorded. So, uh, but. Uh, I'm so glad to be able to do this with you, as you know. And uh, so, you know, when, it, when I think of what is thinking biblically, that for a long, long time, it's been on my heart to, um, for both for myself and to share with others, uh, a way to f- to 
fully take the whole Bible and apply it to all of life. And through the years, I've wondered what were some of the obstacles that were basically in some way, I guess we could say, uh, chopping up the Bible or uh, uh, um, separating the Bible from itself, uh, filters that were preventing people from effectively interacting with different parts of the Bible. I, I knew this was going on. I was very aware that many people even love reading the Bible, didn't really have what we might call an, an integrated understanding of the entire scripture. And then some time ago, I came upon this book here, Surprised by Scripture by N.T. Wright. And what it is, is a collection of lectures, essays, and other articles. So it's a bit of an anthology on different topics that have to do with Scripture. And one of one of the uh, chapters in the book, it was actually a lecture given to a student group at the University of Chicago in 2012. And it's entitled, How the Bible Reads the Modern World. Now, just to be on the safe side, just today I reread it, um, and I was a little surprised because it's it's been a few years since since I read it, and I have certain takeaways that I've taken away from it, uh, which really isn't all that he's saying about in that particular uh, chapter. He begins uh, by talking about particular his understanding of American evangelicalism and how American believers interact with the Bible and and how it's different from uh, where he's from in, in Great Britain. He starts with that probably to to connect with his his audience, but as he begins to unpack uh, some of the weaknesses of of what he's particularly talking about American Christianity, actually these, I believe these same weaknesses are, have been historical among many, many believers for a long, long time. Um, he starts to talk about the ancient philosophy of Epicureanism. And Epicureanism is a belief that the things spiritual about life belong in their own realm, separate from the affairs of earth. And he contrasts it to Stoicism, that believe was, which believes that God was in everything. And so there's these two extremes. One, uh, God is in, 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 you know, in the plants, in the rocks, in the trees, in the, everything. And Epicureanism kicks all the spiritual elements of life, call it upstairs, into the heavenly realm. And that is actually an early example of what we now call secularism. So a lot of people think that secularism is uh, a way to describe an atheistic society, a society without God. You know, use, we used to be uh, a religious society, like many parts of the world still uh, are, uh, but much much of the Western world, Canada, the United States, and elsewhere, we've become secular, meaning uh, God isn't front and central anymore. We don't have Bible. When I was a kid in the public school in Montreal, we were still doing uh, Bible stories and the Lord's Prayer. Um, and as you know, that's that's not in public schools in North America anymore. And, and some people say, well, that's what a secular society is. We've kicked God out of the classroom. We've kicked God out of politics. And so kicked God out of the public square. Um, and, and that is a, a fruit of secularism, but not because we're all atheists now. It's the idea that the things of God, the things that are spiritual, that belong in a that belongs in a realm separate from 
the day-to-day living that we all do on, on, on planet Earth. And something that I have resonated with N.T. Wright and other things that he, he's written uh, besides that, that lecture is the desire to see the spiritual and the material be properly integrated, which is how the Bible sees it. The Bible sees God as the creator of a good creation, a good creation that's gone bad, and then he instigates and implements a plan to redeem that good creation. The idea that uh, the material world is bad and the it's this, and the heavenly world that's good and one day God's going to get rid of the material bad world and all will have some of us will get to enjoy this non-material kind of heavenly experience that's not biblical um, it's and it's certainly not integrated and once we understand that the good God created a good creation through which to Uh, His desire was to rule within the created order through human beings being his representatives on earth. Once we start to understand that, the parts of the Bible begin to come together and we we bridge the the secular secular mind. So what, what I got out of his lecture in the book was that we have been infected with a secular mind. And so I started wondering, well, what's the... What's the antidote to the secular mind? Well, the antidote to the secular mind is the biblical mind. And that's why thinking biblically is what we need to do in order to um, no longer think like secular people. And the reason why that's so important for everyone, but particularly for people reading the Bible, is we tend to read the Bible through that secular lens Um, where we've divided the world into material and spiritual realms and don't see how they are very intimately uh, connected. Dad, I want to jump in for a second. Yeah, please. Uh, I think that a lot of people tuning in, there's a good chance there are people who who, who like, love, and read the Bible. Uh, And if you're not someone like that and you're tuning in, welcome. We're glad you're here. but, but there are probably a lot of listeners, viewers who uh, would identify as someone who thinks biblically. Like we're people of the Bible. We go to churches where the Bible is read and preached, and a lot of us are reading the Bible day to day. And so, Dad, into a context where this is a lot of us, what, what, do, yeah, do you feel that although we're, uh, our lives are kind of so much saturated with the Bible, that even people who are very Bible focused, aren't actually thinking biblically about the world today. Yeah, so from my experience, um, we've had the privilege, as as you yourself know, we've lived across this great country of Canada. We've been involved with uh, and and have been part of different kinds of fellowships. Besides that, we've had friends and connections and with all sorts of different kinds of organizations and we've known a, a lot of people from a lot of faith perspectives within uh you know the, the broad christian church and my experience has been that one way or another the the bible is read through um, a filter that prevents believers from engaging it in its entirety now one of the big ways that that 
that that happens is that there's a lot of misunderstanding about the um, about the place of the people of Israel in the plan of God. Um, perspectives that that teach that God had chosen the people of Israel and then basically gave up on them and replaced the, the people of Israel as the chosen people with this new people called the church. I don't believe that's biblical and I believe that's caused a lot of misunderstanding in how to relate to the whole Bible and not only in how uh, uh, believers engage the Old Testament but because the New Testament is built on the foundation of the Old Testament and there's so much that is taught in the New that is actually deeply rooted in the earlier revelation of the Old, um, the, the the general negative bent towards the Old Testament actually undermines how believers tend to understand the New Testament. Uh, one I, of the very, very common things that's been, a, that only more recently has been, there's been attempts to correct it, is uh, much of the New Testament, especially something like Paul's letters, have been interpreted through the lens of Greek philosophy instead of understanding that he was so, so, uh, is the word seeped? Seeped? He was seeped in. Seeped, marinated. Marinated, soaked in um, the Hebrew Bible. And the more I've, I've looked at this, I've seen what Paul has been doing in his mission unto the nations is he's the bridge of taking God's truth in the earlier, his earlier revelation and bringing it within uh, a non-Jewish context in the way that God uh, was calling him to. So he wasn't exporting what we might think of as Judaism. He wasn't calling non-Jewish followers of Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, uh, to become uh, to become Jewish. He was bringing the truth of God as revealed in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, which of course was the only Bible they had in those days. And he was bringing it into those contexts through which then all these disparate cultures and peoples could work out what God was revealing in his word. So it's, you know, even even understanding the Bible, like you have the, the Jewish Old Testament and the Christian New Testament, that's just not even a biblical way to look at the Bible. Um, I, I, I don't want people to misunderstand. We will talk about this more in, in weeks ahead. And this, this thinking biblically is not all about um, understanding the Jewish roots of, of the Bible, for example. But it's essential to understand the centrality of Israel and the plan of God so that Whatever's being addressed in Old or New Testament, we understand the context in which uh, it is being taught. I, I was in a seminary class, and our professor had us map out uh, different, uh, different, very succinct ways of summarizing the great story of the Bible. Is it was exactly what he asked for, and so people said right away, you know, creation, fall redemption, uh, whatever, like consummation or something like that. There was multiple, there was everyone is suggesting things. And that's creation. It's, 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 uh, I know I wasn't there, but I've read the same book. So it's, cre- it's uh, creation, fall, cross, consummation. Okay. And consummation ref- meaning uh, the return of the Lord. 
So there was a bunch of different ones being said, and I was looking at the blackboard, I think it was probably a green board, and nobody nobody had anything about Israel in the grand story of the Bible. And so I put my hand up and I just said, hey, professor, I, I think we should have at least one uh, summary that includes the people of Israel. And he, he kind of like looked at me, not taken aback by like, oh, that's a good idea, but like, okay. And then, um, yeah, the, it was just, it was a bizarre moment in class where I, 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 I might be projecting, but I, I felt like there was a complete lostness from my prof and my classmates as to why I'm talking about Israel in a sense. And we're talking about the grand story of the Bible, which is uh, heartbreaking. Well, there is actually a, a pretty renowned conservative uh, a systematic theology that is, is a great resource. Um, we used to have it in the house. It was your copy, was actually. Copy. Yeah, it was your yeah. copy. And uh, out of curiosity, I went to the index one day to, um, that's not it. I, yeah. I went, <laughs> went to the, the index one day and looked up Israel in the index. And if you're not familiar with how indexes work in the back of an of a academic book, uh, it, it, it seeks to find all the references to that word or the concept in the rest of the book. And it was a big 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 book big book and um it's bigger than this yeah it was big and there was like two references and you know because i don't have it in front of me let's not mention who it is who wrote it um but well respected in in, in conservative evangelical circles two references to israel now you have i think that was a bible you had there bible. you know how much of this book that we claim to be the written word of God, those of us who believe that, um, if we did an index at the back of the Bible that, that's in Israel, it would almost be as big as the whole as the whole Bible. Um, we, and, um, and so there's something wrong, and I, I, don't, want, I don't want people to get me wrong, some of these academic works are so helpful in so many ways, but there is a problem. And I really uh, didn't intend that we would so focus on on the Israel piece, um, uh, because we're going to be talking about Israel next week, uh, God willing. Uh, but um, and then we'll talk about other things. Like I said, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you closer to the time when we're done. But um, it's it is such an important part of, of thinking biblically. And so. While a book like that is so helpful in understanding concepts like the love of God and sin and the nature of human beings and, and all these things that systematic theologies focus on, but if it's a systematic theology based on the Bible and you only have two index references to Israel, isn't there something wrong with how we are uh, bringing out the concepts that we believe are rooted in Bible? And so, and, and that's the same thing that you you're you're saying uh, about that overview, which I've seen before, um, and it's one of the things that N.T. Wright has contributed to this to this conversation, because uh, he's actually critiqued that normal way of talking about the Bible's big picture, the the big story, the the meta narrative is the technical term, and so he would say, no, it's not. A creation a fall cross consummation he would say it's creation fall israel cross consummation now i wish i can get nt right on the show because there are certain things particularly about israel that i believe actually undermine the the 
the very good contributions that he's brought to this discussion. Because when you redefine Israel in the way many people do, including N.T. Wright, who I respect in so many ways and has been so helpful in so many ways, uh, when you redefine Israel in the way that he does, you don't realize that you're actually undermining that very integrative spirituality that you're trying to establish in, in the scriptures. Um, we're going to move to another question that's not about Israel in a moment, because my because to reflect the coming weeks, my dad is with guests will be tackling all sorts of different issues. But just for those wondering, the contrast between the two references in the fantastic systematic theology that my dad referenced, it's a really good book that is probably the most read book among evangelical. My dad said conservative. I would think conservative and not as conservative, just broad evangelicals read the systematic theology. So there's two references to Israel in that thick, thick, thick book. I looked it up. If you type in, if you look at how many times the Bible and the ESV translation mentioned Israel, this is how much times the Bible mentions Israel, is 2,362 specific, that mentioning just of, of Israel, the word, the word. let alone yeah. other, many other words that refer to Israel. So... Yeah, and so you even get there's you know there's the there's theologies that say uh, yes Israel then yes Israel in the future not Israel right now which then makes it for you and I you know we come from a family where you know uh, so my wife and I Daniel's mother and I are both from a Jewish heritage as far back as we know um, and uh, we see ourselves in Romans 11 we're if you're familiar with that chapter we're the cut off branches that have been regrafted as Paul says into our own olive tree and so if you have a theology that doesn't know how to reckon with the their own olive tree then there's something wrong in how we understand the plans and purposes of God but i i want to say something i want to say something because it's part of my own journey um in in all of this. So for myself as a Jewish believer, there was a time where I believed that what God was calling me to do was to uh, share the good news of the Messiah with our own people and to um, establish what we call a messianic congregation, so a a Jewish-oriented fellowship. And during this period where I was seeking to do this, um, the Lord showed me how Abraham, our great forefather, had been called by God to be a blessing to the nations. And and it became clear to me that my calling was not just for our own people, but for the nations. And so, um, interesting, I, I, I teach a Bible class at a small Christian school here in Ottawa, where I live, and uh, it was our final class t- today, um, um, We're recording this on Monday. Uh, All well, you're seeing this uh, two days later on Wednesday, unless you see it after that, but you know what I mean. Um, So just just this afternoon, it was our last class, and I told the kids, ask me whatever you want. And I want to say the same to all of you. Um, Send me your Bible questions. Send me the things you're troubled with. Maybe we'll end up talking about them in a segment, or I'll just uh, respond to you directly. Oh, and by the way, if you want to know the name of that theology book, email me. for now, the email address, I'm, I'm working on a Thinking Biblically uh, address, but for now, you can email me at alan at alangilman.ca. Email me, I'll send you the name of the book. Um, I just, right now, for whatever it is, I don't feel comfortable telling you doing it in public. So anyway, and I'm talking too fast. So let me try to slow down. Uh, and so the, one of the, one of the uh, great eight 
students asked me about this chosenness of the Jewish people and like why would God favor a people like that? And so I explained first of all being favored uh, if you look throughout history no group has been more hated and more persecuted than the Jewish people and I explained how that's connected to our being chosen by God. You know if the world hates God the world will also hate the Jewish people which is also should be um, how you know our, our connection to you know any person from any nation that believes in the Jewish Messiah we should be experiencing the world's hate that's what Jesus said and many of us don't experience that but uh, Jewish people get that because of our connection with God established through Abraham Isaac and Jacob and so um, we're, we're not favored in the way that people often think you know favored is supposed to look like we were chosen by God to be his instruments to make him known to the world and so our chosenness is not for ourselves it's not like God gave us the the, the best parking spots and the penthouse suite we were chosen as part of his plan and then he invites people from all nations of the world to to also be part of that plan and so if the if if Christians don't understand that they've been drawn into the plan of God that was developed through the people of Israel then they're not going to understand this plan and they're not going to actually think biblically amen Dad, uh, shifting gears a little bit. Um, so you mentioned earlier on about how when you were just a child, uh, th there was prayer in schools. And today in our more secular age, we don't have that anymore. Uh, I, I want to see if I can articulate this question because I, I want an answer to what is in my mind. But the there are, maybe there are some of our listeners, viewers who feel like, hey, you know, the move from prayer in schools to not prayer in schools isn't a view, uh, isn't a move from an erosion of faith, but is uh, a maturing or a changing of our society from one that was much more monolithically Christian to one that it now has, uh, Canada just has many more people of different religions. And so in order to let people have religious freedom, which is, I think, a biblical concept, uh, we should kind of remove those uh, Christian sacred elements from life. So a secular context, a secular public space is necessary for the marketplace of ideas. A secular context is necessary for freedom of religion. Uh, can you comment on this? Yeah, well, there's so many layers to what you what you said. Um, so a correct view of secularism, whether you for it or against it, is that the spiritual elements of the public school system were removed and put in the private realm of home and congregation. So that kind of idea. And it's interesting that our schools, our hospitals, many of um, the institutions in the Western world were all religiously based, predominantly Christian. But then there were the Jewish schools and the other kind of a private schools uh, that some you know I went to a public school but some of my my, my neighbors where I grew up in a, in a Jewish community uh, they would go either to full-time uh, a Jewish day school or to a, a, a Jewish religious school after uh, public school they would somehow that's how they would work out uh, their their faith difference um, 
But I think one of the things that we're seeing that I don't know how aware of it we are is, you know, we're we're in the trenches of everyday life. And when, when you're in those trenches, it's very hard to see how change is occurring. So you, you one of your degrees, two of your degrees are in history, right? And yeah. so when you study history, you get to to view change over a long period of time. So there, you know, people used to be like this, and then they were like that. But it maybe it took 800 years for that change to fully happen. And so when you're living in the midst of that, you don't notice that change, right? And so I don't know how aware we are of what has been really going on. And so on one hand, um, the Western world has become more diverse since when I was in when I was in public school in the 60s and 70s. Um, immigration in North America has greatly increased from what it was uh, back all, the, all those years ago. And so to accommodate new Canadians, new Americans, um, we create a, a public sphere, including the public school, that more reflects the diversity of, of our society. Now, I know some people say, no, we shouldn't do that, that our countries were established uh, with a certain approach, with a certain religious bent, and we should keep that and expect other people just to adopt those customs. Um, and let's have that conversation if you want. That's not what has occurred both here and in the United States. We have seen what you are describing. And so we have a more diverse public sphere. And now this is where it gets a little tricky. Do we accommodate people's differences or do we expect where people have differences, they're supposed to keep that in the public, in, sorry, in the private sphere. And so um, in the province of Quebec, for example, there's been a move to remove religious symbols for what people are wearing. So you're not, and I believe it, it's only currently for government employees, you're not allowed to wear large crosses or stars of David and, and this sort of thing. So basically that's for home and, 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 and your religious group. But when you come into mixing with everybody else, we're supposed to kind of all look, look the same. And this is the part that I don't think a lot of people realize that it's not as if we can have, okay, we used to all be uh, more, is it monolithic, homogeneous? Um, we all did it the same way. So so us Jewish kids uh, at the public school, uh, we, we, you know, the Lord's prayers from the New Testament, we'd put up with it because that's, that's how it worked back then. Um, and so now we're not expected to put up with that. And so we remove it entirely. And we think we've got this kind of, vanilla, non-affiliated kind of approach, right? But do you know how long it took me to realize that vanilla was a flavor? I was just saying that to <laughs> someone yesterday because there's a new ice cream shop outside my house that when I was a kid, mom, your wife, would buy this big tub of vanilla from the grocery store. Yeah. And I thought she was buying like the, the plain ice cream. Plain. And then if we ever got the other kinds, it was like, this is flavored ice cream. But vanilla is a flavor, though the color shouldn't be white. There's dark. some really good vanilla ice cream that's got this bit of brown tinge to it or yellowish tinge to it. But let's not get distracted. So vanilla, vanilla is a flavor. It that's gets a away that's a good with point. being. It's like vanilla's brand plain, 
but yeah. it's a flavor. The flavor. I've never had. Have you ever had plain ice cream? I don't ever want to have. Plain. <laughs> anyway, so, um, uh, so this 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 change, um, which they call secular, um, has become a new brand of how to do life in the in the public sphere, and so now we're seeing it really more and more for what it is and maybe we'll have other people on that are more expert than uh, well, you you and me about and i know that he in a few weeks i believe and he has i think written an entire book he's done a lot of speaking on some of this stuff because there's there in the name of like in, in a sense i i believe quebec and france uh it has done in the name of uh, like religious pluralism or freedom of whatever religion or something is banning uh all these expressions of people's faith in the public um, sphere. In the public sphere. In the public sphere. Or, yeah. Another way of doing it is to make sure that everyone has the freedom to express, to, to wear clothes that express their faith. And there's right. two very different ways to do it. And right. in Canada, it seems Quebec often, if you look at lots of the way that, that Canada ex, um, handles all sorts of moral and religious and ethical questions, it often starts in Quebec and then goes to the rest of Canada. And this is the way Quebec has gone. Yeah, but that I, I think that's maybe just a little, just ahead of the curve sort of thing, because, and this is part of the point. So this, this set, we'll call it the secular experiment, if just not be, not to criticize it, I'd buy that but book. It, it's new. It's, it's, yeah. it's in the history of the world, it's fairly new, um, but it's deceiving because people are fundamentally for lack of a better term, religious. We we like uh, we like order. We like uh, to we like to be able to approach life according to some basic understandings. We like to commemorate things. We we like to do things together, and uh, and so um, and then when people don't engage it, um, when a minority don't want to engage what the what the majority are doing, there's a tendency to um, what's that word again to um to put them aside uh uh oh so what religious groups do when you're not behaving shun shun we tend to shun people who don't want to do it the way we do it and so there seems to be this re- religiousness about how uh the um the, the society is 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 developing to the point now you there are certain tenets that you have to ascribe to in order to be viewed as a uh, legitimate part of the society, um, and it is, you know, I, maybe we could segue into this a little bit because this is part of the, the issue with the whole thinking biblically thing. Um, you know, we will get into so when Don Hutchison comes in a, a couple of weeks, we're planning to talk about religious liberty, um, okay. and because he's an expert in that, as particularly in Canada, uh, but I think it applies the world over. Um, there's that issue and how, you know, how does somebody with religious convictions navigate a secular world? But then there is what's really happening in, you know, the secular world is our world. We're all, we're all citizens of the same world. And what's, what began originally as a, uh, an experiment of tolerance that where there was this diversity thing. Canada has, probably still has this official policy of what's called multiculturalism, but more and more you have to ascribe to a certain way of doing things to the extent it's becoming more and more you actually have to think certain things or else you're you're just disqualified from being part of, you know, whoever the 
the, the grand us is. You, your opinions and even having the opinion has become something that's becoming more and more forbidden. Um, so a, a society that used to pride itself in, in discourse from various perspectives becoming more and more monolithic, if, is that the right term? Um, you know, everybody's having to believe the same thing, or is you just better keep those thoughts to yourself. And even then, like, there's the suspicion, like, do you actually, you know, you actually don't believe the current narrative that everybody else is believing? And that, and, and that is something that I wanted to get into if there's time. Um, that's one of the things that I've been seeing, and one of the things that we need to bring thinking biblically to is the, is the way more and more... Um, Everybody seems to be, or the majority, or whoever they are, or a, per, a perception of the majority, are all believing the same things about about issues. And if you differ with that, you're you're out, you're cancelled, you're you're yeah. shunned. If I, um, I want to draw. Yeah, oh, I can interrupt you. Uh, I know I want to draw. Just as you're speaking, I think it might be helpful to make it tangible. So some might remember, in it would have been the year I think 2017. Uh, there's uh, one of the parliamentary committees. I was working at parliament, so I remember it well. But the parliamentary committee for the status of women was going to be chaired. Uh, she was elected as the chair by the members of the committee was Rachel Harder, uh, a friend who loves the Lord. She's a member of parliament and she's pro-life. Um, and even though she wasn't in any way uh, part of any like pro-life initiatives at parliament, she wasn't doing anything. Like She just privately, personally, uh, believes that a pre-born baby isn't just a clump of tissue, but it's actually a baby. That's what she privately believes. And because members of parliament on the uh, and other parties knew that she privately believes this, when she, as a woman, is elected to be the chair of the committee, they got up and walked out and they refused, like breaking parliamentary protocol. They refused to res respect the democratic will of the committee. They refused to let the committee function until she was removed and then they and they didn't care. It could have been a guy who was replacing her, even though it's a stats of women committee. Like they had no respect for this woman because like, I'm not even finishing my sentences. Yeah. As did a, a did a male end up replacing her, Daniel? Uh, in the end, it ended, they they found another female that replaced okay, her. But so there was there was there was ma male members of parliament in the name of respecting women walked out. And and to me that just shows exactly what my dad is saying that this member of parliament. Had had beliefs that she I, that she like beliefs like thoughts in her head about preborn babies that in their minds disqualified her from being able to serve in a public capacity. Like, yeah, and so, that's exactly what my dad is saying. Yeah, right? so it and so I'm seeing more and more, and we've seen it in politics. We see it with how COVID has been handled, about how people relate to COVID, and and all the rest. There that there is this highly religious approach to how life is supposed to be lived and if you don't adhere to the tenets of this new religion you are shunned or you're ex in this case she was excommunicated she was part of the group they kicked her out of the group because she believed something different like this is like the the you know the church trials of the medieval of the medieval time where people were treated this way and to think that in the name of of tolerance uh, th this is where we've got to. Now, this is a little bit, it, it relates to thinking biblically, but to bring it back specifically to it, where some of my concern is, is 
Um, one of the things we've been seeing lately, and it's, it relates to like the story that you just shared, uh, is um, so we've had a couple of of uh, instances of Canada, tragic ones. For a long time, our country's been dealing with the issue of, of, of indigenous residential schools, which uh, had a horrible effect on our, our First Nations peoples uh, uh, through the years. Um, and we as a country need to bring res- good resolve to that tragedy. Well, just recently, for in case anyone doesn't know, uh, on the west, towards the west coast of Canada, British Columbia, using this special X-ray technology, um, there uh, were found a mass grave of 215 Indigenous children. Not as far as I know, since that was found out a couple of weeks ago, we don't have that much more detail apart from the initial um, report based on this X-ray technology. But as soon as that was made known, it was expected the whole country was to react in a particular way. And I remember I'm thinking, well, what about this? What did they find? What does it mean? How did the children die? You weren't even allowed to ask those questions because somehow you were then slotted as somehow being, you know, against the indigenous peoples of Canada. Uh, Another horrible thing happened I think it was just last week now, um, where this 20-year-old man in London, Ontario, which is not far from Toronto, um, um, mowed down with his vehicle a Muslim family, uh, uh, leaving one of the children, uh, I believe, injured but alive. Um, A horrific, horrific thing. And immediately, um, our prime minister called it a terrorist, terrorist act. Maybe it was a terrorist act. And just today I read uh, how uh, when this young man was charged, they added terrorism to his charges of murder and attempted murder. Um, I believe that this young man should be tried properly and and justice should be served. But there was an immediate way of thinking that everybody was expected to adopt even before the facts of the of the uh, of of what happened were known, and there's so much about this that uh, the the police are protecting for hopefully for good reasons, and so we're not going to know everything until what can be known will will be known. Um, but even that pause that's necessary when tragedies happen to be able to get an understanding of what's happening, it's as if we're not allowed to do that anymore. Now that's not fully where I'm going with this. So we're having a discussion with some people recently about this phenomenon. Um, and then one person suggested, you know, just, you know, the way that um, a lot of things, like if you believe this, you're a that. And if you believe this, you're a that. That's very common today. You're this a phobe and a that a phobe. And so those of us, I don't know if I've ever been called a whatever a phobe, but let's say I was called a whatever a phobe. Um, and I don't mean to make fun in, in, in any way. I, I believe there is racism. I believe there is hatred. It needs to be addressed, but addressed in a, in a, a good and effective, just way. Um, but the suggestion was like, if we're being called whatever a phobe, maybe we need to develop terminology to call them a something a phobe. So if you call, you know, if I'm a Joe a phobe uh, because I you think I hate Joe, now you want to call me an Alan a phobe, and it's like there's something wrong with the whole approach, and that's what we hopefully will gain from thinking biblically. How are we supposed to deal not only with the tragedies, 
but in how we handle the tragedies and how we might believe tragedies are mishandled. Like we don't agree with what that side of the political aisle, how they're doing it. What's our response supposed to be? Are we going to um, are we going to react in kind, or is there a whole other approach to life that the Bible teaches us that will actually reflect the goodness of God in, in, in an effective way in our own and other people's lives? That was quite a ramble, Daniel. Were you no, able no, to follow I, that? I, I, I appreciated it. Um, something that my dad has challenged me a lot, uh, when I worked at uh, Parliament Hill, I worked for and was a member of a p- certain political party. Um, and uh, there's issues with that party, but I, I definitely could not imagine being part of any other party. And and I would often at the dinner table, my dad and mom's dinner table, we've nine, I'm nine siblings, they have 10 kids. Uh, so there, it's a vibrant table. And I would be talking about something, and I'd say we. And my dad would just challenge me, like, hey, it's not a we. It's, it's, this isn't like you work for them, you might be a member of that party, that's great. But like, but when you say, I, I would say we conflating this political party with like Christendom or like this political party with us as believers in God. And my dad wanted to what, what, disentangle those two things, um, saying it's it's ultimately, even if a lot of us, not everyone on this show, but a lot of us would, would feel that uh, on the right wing is, is a more there's more things reflecting the bible on the right wing perhaps on the left in a sense a lot of us feel that way um but my dad would try to say basically that you can correct me if i'm misrepresenting you but it's not so much about being right wing or left wing but like but being biblical right there's something about being able to step away from from that doesn't mean disengaging from society but not not finding our core identity or grid for life through a political spectrum and and what's the the bible incident that i go to for that you tell me, Father. <laughs> it's Joshua. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, and it fits in to that question that I had. What's that? Yeah, when he says, are you for us or against us? And the angel of the Lord says, neither. I and that's know, another thing. So it, if, if we did research on the biblical understanding of the chosen people, we have that instant just before uh, the people of Israel are going to march around the walls of Jericho. Uh, just before that, Joshua meets this captain of the army of the Lord, which is probably a manifestation of God himself, and he doesn't know that, and he asks the question, are you for us or for our enemies, which is what uh, General Joshua should be asking, you know, friend or foe. And in Hebrew, the answer from the captain of the army of the Lord of hosts is in Hebrew, lo, no, often translated as neither. And which doesn't, on one hand, doesn't make sense. If Israel is the chosen people, therefore he's for Israel. No, God is. There's so much. There's so much interest in this, you know, bias and there's bias training, anti-bias training, all the rest. God is the only one that's completely non-biased, and He's able to engage the 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 rights and wrongs and goods and bads of life from this unbiased position. And so it's not as if he's on Israel's side. The, the question for the chosen people has always been, are you going to stay on God's side? Which is always a journey away from self-interest, which mm-hmm. is very tricky for y'all uh, political types because you know, it wasn't only, you know, I was hearing that not only from you, but some of your friends who, who worked in parliament, this whole we thing and that self-identification with the cause, with the position. And, you know, and to... You know, there's a we that is we humans, and that 
that I think is, is fundamentally biblical. And we've got to be careful not to so distance ourselves from other people, but then we don't become just like everybody all mushed up as if we're all identically the same because that's not biblical biblical either. And I hope we're going to unpack some of these things as we go along. Uh, before I get to my final question I, for you, Dad, I do want to just highlight something I've heard that I think is really meaningful from my dad, which is in many ways, I think we focus today as we're launching Thinking Biblically, the podcast, what it means to be biblically. But when he, my dad was mentioning about the, resi- the, the horrific reality of the deaths of these children at these residential schools, so the horrific reality of these people who were killed who were Muslims, um, and, and he was uh, affirming that it's in both cases horrifying and tragic and, and making a plea for us to be able to stop and ask some questions and think about it to try to understand a little bit more of what happened, um, taking it seriously. I, I, I hear in my dad speaking here that thinking biblically, the podcast is both about thinking biblically and also about thinking. Like it's my dad is making a plea here for let's let's actually like think about stuff. And I think in many ways in today's society, one of the things that has allowed for the polarization, um, the hyperpartisanship is in many ways with a reductionist reality, we've stopped thinking or we're not taught how to think. And so I'm grateful and I'm going to be, I'm not a big podcast guy. I'm going to be tuning in for real, listening to my dad and his guests, because I want to grow from my dad and his marvelous guests in how, learning how to think biblically about the world and engage it in a meaningful way dad just before we're turning toward wrapping up can you give us a little preview of some of what we can expect in the coming weeks with your guests right so uh these conversations have not yet happened and i've realized very quickly that i i don't control these things and so this is the plan so far and so uh, uh, next week we're planning to have dr david friedman he is a scholar and writer uh, an American Israeli. I don't know if he refers to himself that way. He's originally from the United States. He's been in Israel for a long time and he understands he, what's going on there. And so he's going to be talking about Israel and the Middle East. Then the following week, uh, uh, a wonderful man I've known for a long, long time, uh, Dr. Rod Wilson, a formerly president of Regent College and psychologist, is going to talk about, uh, I've entitled it anger the most misunderstood emotion. Whether it is the most misunderstood emotion, I'll ask, I'll ask Rod that, but you get the point. Uh, I, I wanna re- jump in and say for a second, uh, some of you some of you are friends of mine who are in the, uh, listening, and you know that my wife and I have gone through uh, so many different tra- tragedies this past year. And Rod was actually one of my two therapists that I had, and he was such a profound help for me in some of the most like, intimate and painful things from the past year. So being able to walk with him in such an intimate way, I'm just so thrilled that my dad, of no connection to my own, is going to be having me on the show. Thrilled and looking forward yeah. to hearing what he has to say about anger. Yeah, I'm really, I, I'm really looking forward to it. He's written on this on the subject, and um, yeah, it's really, really important. Especially, we live in a very angry time in history, and sure. so hopefully, we can get to that. What is that all about? How do we respond to that? And if maybe you feel angry about the anger. What do you do with that? So hopefully Rod can help us with that. Then um, uh, what's then I've, I I maybe oh yes then is Don Hutchinson. That's the I plan. I have to jump in for a second, guys. <laughs> no connection. My dad didn't compare notes, nor did he ask for advice. 
Um, but I usually ask him for advice. But um, in 2008, I was a I was a teenager and I was invited to work at Parliament Hill. And I, I loved politics, but I was afraid of political engagement because I'd read of enough Christians who kind of fl flamed out in their faith there. And so I didn't know what to do. And I'd heard my dad at the dinner table uh, talk about a friend of his, Don Hutchinson. So I found him downtown uh, and I asked if I could be able was, to. Was he homeless, him. Daniel? OK, I found him <laughs> online. I went to his website and emailed him and in those days we emailed people and he anyways i got to meet with him and he helped me like think through and for an hour and a half he helped little danny g be able to work through um being like he, he encouraged me and gave me good advice for how to accept that job and be involved in politics in a way that would be not dangerous for my soul but changing the world at the same time he has helped shape my life and i pray that he will help shape and breathe life into your call, whoever is watching and listening. Well, I'm glad Daniel's excited about this. I am excited. And then uh, we're going to have Dr. Doug Trick, who is a professor of linguistics at uh, Trinity Western University, and he is an expert in Bible translation. And we're going to look at the dynamics of Bible translation, like what's it all about. And uh, so he's going to help. And I'm. I'm hoping to share a personal story from a long time ago in a, a way that Doug was a huge blessing to me. I'm looking forward to hearing all of it and so much more in the coming weeks. Uh, grateful to everyone who has stuck with us through this podcast. This is the first of Thinking Biblically 2.0 as my dad relaunches this podcast. And I hope to see you in the comments section as uh, I would love to hear your feedback on YouTube or however you are watching and listening. And I think my dad, my dad said he's going to have special guests and Daniel. So I'm well, not that, taking that. I was just going to, I was just going to say, and after <laughs> that, and again, it's all God willing, we're going to see how it goes. Then the plan is you're going to be back. And I've already been thinking, what are we going to do? And maybe we're going to reflect on some of the past weeks. I think that would be great. Or maybe we'll talk on a particular subject and we'll see. And uh, please, as you as you write in, leave comments. If you have any suggestions on people that you'd like to see on uh, the podcast or uh, any questions or comments that you have, please. And don't forget to subscribe and hit the notification bell.